Very welcome to this afternoon's seminar, Why Art at Stockholm School of Economics. My name is Sara Kjellström and I work as curator for programming in relations to exhibitions at Magazine 3. In the spring of 2013, SSE and Magazine 3 launched a collaborative project and since May, a film-based program with artworks from the Magazine 3 collection has been presented out here in the atrium at this school. And the purpose with this program was to demonstrate how art can place things within a broader perspective and also challenge the often deep-seated views we have of the world around us. And the project is timely with the current debate in media where some argue that humanities are essential for a creative business sector. Atrium out here is a public space located within this institution of higher learning and uh, therefore also a natural arena for the bait of ideas. And appropriately, the content and presentation of some of the film also has evoked some debate and um, reactions. So today's seminar, Why Art at Stockholm School of Economics, provides the opportunity to consider some of the issues that have risen. How does art affect us? And what is the function art serves in a public space? And what can the humanities do for economics? And today's moderator, David Newman, who is the museum director of Magazine 3 and affiliated professor at Stockholm University, will now briefly introduce the panel and then they will introduce themselves further. Thank you. Thank you, Sara. If money makes the world go around, as you will remember from uh, one of the great movies, Cabaret, I think the culture uh, makes it and gives it meaning. And uh, just to give you some kind of historic reference why Lars Strandegård, that is the vice president here and the professor at the School of Economics, and I thought to uh, initiate this kind of exhibition program. And, and as you very likely understand, the public spaces, whether they are inside an institution like Handel's or whether they are in an even more public space, is always connected with a lot of challenges. And those challenges are not exclusively content, but that has to do with flow of visitors, people, and so forth. As you could actually see tonight, because uh, this institution is holding uh, not a party for us, even though we should mingle afterwards, but uh, there are all these different issues. I think that this is a, could possibly be, and this is one of the, another wonderful thing when you are part of history, I think it's a little historical tonight, the fact that I see uh, so many students and friends and people from other learning institutions here to touch on some of these issues, which I think are so important. And uh, we will, of course, get back to them after these uh, presentations. Next to me is Nina Överli. Nina is a curator at Magazine 3 and is, she's from Norway and she has worked in the public sector, made a project last year with SL and uh, she is the curator behind this, this program. Then I have a dear friend of mine, Ann-Sophie Sidén. She is one of the premier Swedish contemporary artists, has exhibited extensively around the globe. And I wrote something which I thought was kind of funny because I said, I wrote, I wrote like that. She has also managed to push 
the boundaries when it comes to art and specifically also art produced and showed in public uh, spaces. She holds a position as a professor at the Royal Academy here in Stockholm. She likes to speak out on controversial issues and she is not afraid of having strong opinions. And Lars, most of you know, he is uh, the vice president here at the Stockholm School of Economics, very much involved in culture, sits on a number of boards, was one of the initiators for an exhibition uh, space in Göteborg, Röda Sten, sits on the Bergman up on Fore. And um, I'm impressed that you managed to, to push so much culture into your work here at Handels. And I'm delighted uh, that you are here. And finally, Kristina Möster. Kristina works for Statens Konstråd, which is our kind of public federal agency. And you are specifically involved in art that is kind of applied to buildings. I mean, the, the building part of it. And you work with a lot of art that we sometimes are very much used to, but we might not always understand that the process behind putting it into the society. When you have these kind of gatherings, it's always wonderful to mix uh, the visuals, uh, the words and the ideas. And uh, I'm happy that Nina will start to tell you a little bit about the ideas behind this exhibition. And then Anne-Sophie will continue. One last thing. Um, all great topics or all great ideas, uh, many times when you sit and you start to talk about them, they kind of expand. And here the title was Why Art at Stockholm School of Economics? And of course, after discussing it a little while, we realized that this is actually a topic that we could talk about, why art in public spaces. I'm coming from uh, Magazine 3, which I was the, one of the, the founding director, and it's a uh, private institution located in the old Freeport of Stockholm. Next year we are celebrating 27 or 28 years. We have one of the more impressive collections of contemporary art. Primarily it comes from our exhibition program. And for those of you that have been there, and I recognize many of you, we have done some exhibitions over the years which has been kind of important by introducing art to a national audience for the very first time. And one of the kind of key exhibitions was uh, by the Swiss artist uh, Pippi Lottirist. And currently we have an exhibition which is uh, also has a kind of public dimension. It's by the, uh, it's a group exhibition and it's called On the Tip of My Tongue. And uh, one of the key artists in this exhibition is the Danish Vietnamese artist Jan Vu uh, that has made a sculpture which is in parts it's actually in 400 parts and uh, we are showing a very small amount of those uh, works and it's uh, the statue of liberty friutsgrinan in scale one to one uh, made out of uh, the same original material as uh, as you can see in the port of uh, new york city so let's get started nina yeah. Uh, so the focus of the collaboration was to bring a broader range of perspectives into this learning institution. And what I'm going to do now is just quickly go through, or try to be quick, go through each of the films. It's a series, actually, of eight films that are showing here. Some have already been shown. There are still some to come after Christmas. Uh, just to give you all an idea what it is we're discussing. So the first film is Janine Antoni. She was born in Freeport in the Bahamas, 
and uh, she actually taught herself tightrope walking for this film. And if you've seen the film, you can see she's still very unstable. But what's significant is that she's done this in the location where she was born, in a house on the Bahamas, which is a former British colony. And it's the perfection when the line touches the horizon is a testimony to the strength of the individual to conquer the boundaries of the place into which they were born. So it conveys both a sense of fragility and hope, this work. And then the next work is Sigalit Landau. She's born in Jerusalem, lives and works in Tel Aviv. This work is called Standing on a Watermelon in the Dead Sea, and that's precisely what she herself is doing. And it's very dangerous, actually. Uh, being submerged under that salty water is connected to a real risk of fatality. So even if this scene looks very beautiful and calm and we have this amazing sound of underwater, it's a huge risk that she's taking. And if you're thinking also about the political context, that she's doing this in Israel, she was born into a conflict, it gives another dimension to the actual the performance that she does in front of the camera in this work. Next work that was shown is Smada Dreyfus. She was also born in Israel, lives and works in London. It's a 360 degrees panoramic shot of a real sunset. It's shot in real time on the beach between Tel Aviv and Jaffa, which has a mixed Arab-Israeli population. And what happens with this real-time technique is that you're brought to the location. You feel very close to the scene. And it becomes very intimate, as opposed to news reports, which we tend to distance ourselves from. This actually brings us right there. And we start to see small signs of segregation. So it brings the reality, day-to-day -day life in a political conflict, much closer to us here. And then the next film that was shown was Jumana Emila Boud, The Return. This is kind of a symbolic act. She walks along a path, dropping pieces of pita bread on the ground showing the impossibility of returning to a place which is already gone in many ways and to find a sense of belonging in a situation which is fundamentally unstable. And then we reached a film that is on now, Mareke van Warmedam. She tends to focus on small and everyday events that we don't normally notice. In this case, the film that is playing outside the atrium here now is just simply a film of leaves being moved by the wind in an abandoned industrial estate. So she just stops us, helps us shift our focus, reverses our habitual perspective, and makes insignificant become significant. And we have the upcoming films. It's two films by Kim Soya. She was born in Korea. The first film is called Botari Zocalo. It's a grand overview of a place, Zocalo Plaza in Mexico City, which amazingly has been maintained as a place for demonstrations for individuals to express their need to have a right to say over their own lives ever since Aztec times. So she creates this kind of grand historical sweep where human beings become absolutely tiny, but also just timeless in a way. And the second film by Kim Soya, which we'll be showing here, she often works with issues of democracy, freedom, and cultural displacement. And this actually goes back to colonial times, or post-colonialism. It's, it's called Butari Alpha Beach. And Alpha Beach in Nigeria was the location from which millions of slaves were removed to be sold. And it's very hard to represent the consequences uh, and the pain that this has caused and for whole populations. 
even today. So what she's done, she's done this simple reversal of the, this peaceful scene, just to give us a kind of space in which to reflect upon our history. And the final film, which is part of this program, which has run since May, with three weeks for each film, is Sam Taylor Wood. She's born in London, lives in London, and this is a film from 1995, Brontosaurus. Sam Taylor Wood uses iconography from Renaissance painting in order to touch on issues that we don't very often discuss these days, mortality, the fragility of the human body. And what she's done here is filmed her friend dancing to techno music naked, but she slowed down the tempo and changed the techno music to a classical piece and thereby manages to kind of touch on the very, a very fragile uh, sense in this male figure. And it's, we're totally unaccustomed to see a man portrayed in this way. So it's actually quite uncomfortable viewing and a reversal of gender stereotypes. So that's the program. The reason I chose these films here is I think they touch upon, as you can see, quite a wide range of issues that should be important to an educational institution to discuss. And what I like about them is that they don't claim to have the solution to any of these problems. They just inhabit them. They open them up for us to question our own attitudes towards them. I, I think these women artists have managed to make works that have the ability to make us step back, stop, and notice, and just simply think and question our own attitudes. Yeah, I just want to clarify, uh, uh, it's kind of hard to see today because there's a big thing going on downstairs, but all the artworks are shown downstairs here at uh, the big screen, so you actually see them when you enter the big atrium. Some of them have sound, so you have to stand at a particular place, and those works that have sound, uh, you can only basically hear uh, when you are at a particular place place. So when you're mingling around in the atrium at other places, you don't necessarily hear the sound. So it's, it's all down there and the films run between nine and five. So some of you saw it on your way in, but most of you didn't because it's um, this big event going on tomorrow. So, but you can see it from the, um, from the balcony. Anne-Sophie, now you didn't start your career, but you said that you have worked in so many different expressions and fields. And if you focus on one of them, it will take quite a long time. But you have picked something which we you actually ask you to focus on. Mm -hmm. You choose to show this film, The Queen of Mud, which is a series of works that I started to do when I was still in the academy. That's why it's kind of interesting to show it here, maybe. This film is from 1989 that we're going to look at, I guess, at some point. And it also started with a question. I think all artists start with some sort of question. It's probably a little bit of different education than here. I remember still the day when I got into a small Saab at Skeppsholmen with my friends, and I was uh, dressed in mud. Queen of Mud is a fictional character that I invented and I also enacted. I had a story behind this person, and at this point she was brought back into society in order to understand smell. So she walked into NK's perfume department and asked the clerks whether they had uh, something that she could bring with her into space. And they asked me, why do you look like that? And I said, it's my way to travel. Queen of Mud started as a poem where I just wrote down, I don't know how many lines, Queen of Mud's first step on another planet, Queen of Mud learns how to walk, Queen of Mud learns how to talk, Queen of Mud etc, etc. 
basically I made myself as a blank and walked out into society to see what happened with it. And parallel to that, I also wrote scripts. And from working with it from 1988, I think I wrote that poem, until 97, where I conducted a film that I shot in New York, a, a half an hour, completely fictional film with actors and, and so on. Well, Queen of Mud, this, you know, here you talk about that uh, there's something strange entering this building, or I understood that there's comments about this projection that you have downstairs. Here, no one could choose, you know, whether I would come in there or not. Of course, we were chased out after five minutes. And you can actually see the woman who is responsible for this department of the department store, how she comes in and sneaks in and looks and smiles, and yet she sends the, the guards on us. I'm, of course, filmed, so I have a camera, and at those days, there wasn't too much cameras around, so there was some sort of empowerment for me to have that camera, of course. So some of them turn away, and some of them uh, are professionals, and actually a custom, you know, are, are nice and so on. For me, it was very important to do this uh, work at school. I was dealing also with a script that involved... I had, for instance, one character called Professor Kirschenbaum, and as we know, Kirschenbaum, he actually taught at the academy, and the idea about Queen Omad was that she's going to be sent to space and she was the best kid in the kindergarten in the weightless chamber and she was going to take humanity to another planet and save us all and plant the first seed. And she's actually due to come back to Earth. I think it's 1916 or something like that. But I don't know if she's ever going to return or where she's going to hit. Anyway, that was Queen Omad a little bit. I think a lot of women work with the, their bodies, which is interesting. I just now came from a studio a group discussion at the school where I have a student called Don Vid who also is doing stuff with himself. And it's quite rare that men do it. And his name is Don. So he has interpreted Jul Dan, Annan Dan, Nyors Dan, Kvinno Dan and so on. Great stuff. He just uh, finished uh, his show at Galimejan so I can't recommend you to go there but he'll be show again in, in the spring. I have also worked a lot with surveillance video. Uh, used the surveillance camera as an eye. I felt it was nice. It kind of works on its own. You just put it on a wall. It's static or it moves like this. And uh, I would have loved to have one up here looking at you guys, you know. Of course, now surveillance is everywhere. The piece that Magazine 3 has is a, a piece called Who Told the Chambermaid? Which is based on the idea of uh, that the chambermaid has filmed everything that goes on in the rooms and is taping it and keeping it on a shelf, the monitors, among her laundry and sheets and towels and so on. My last project was uh, at Dramaten, where I filmed behind the stage, trying to capture that which is essential for the ceremony or the ritual of theatre to happen up to that moment without necessarily showing that moment. I'm also working on an opera with Jonas Bolin. We have an image oh. behind us now, which, you, that, which, we, now, which oh. we will get back to, right? Oh. Okay. Because that's about a work that you created for, for a foundation in the south of Sweden. Yes. And it's been there for, what, 10 years? In 2000. It yes. was installed. Right. So it's, it's more 13. than 13 years. And then it moves into another context, another, context, another country, another place, and it creates a, a, an uproar. Mm -hmm. But we, we will get back to that. So we can have this image, uh, nevertheless, in the background. And, and Lars... Uh, yes, yeah, so good afternoon, I guess, or uh, good evening. My name is, as uh, you've heard, Lars Stranegård, and I'm a professor of leadership and organization here at the school. I'm also vice president, so I have a bit involved with the, uh, with the running of the school, you could say. 
And I have been quite active, you could say, in getting this collaboration together with Magasin Trea. And the reasons for me engaging in this in the first place, they are manifold, I have to say. Uh, but in this introduction, I've decided to, uh, to mention and summarize them into five. So the first reason is basically about the entanglement of culture uh, and economy. So this is the Stockholm School of Economics. And our uh, subjects that we have or that we, that we mainly teach here are finance, economics and management or business. And these three subjects are not something that you actually can extract from society or society processes at all. And they are not developing independently, but they are completely embedded in our society. And that's what's so important to me or to us. And all societies are basically permeated uh, by culture and, of course, particular cultural expressions. And I, myself, am personally convinced that one cannot understand society and how our world operates uh, without having an understanding of today's culture. And in my view, contemporary art is an expression of the culture that we are living in today. And basically, if you leave an education or an educational program that, uh, like the ones that we deliver here, and if you don't have a hunch of what today's culture looks like, then I think your education basically lacks something really fundamental. Uh, and the reason number two is about knowledge production and knowledge transfer. Because the, the knowledge that we produce and transfer here at the school is based on science. That's sort of the essence of what our school is doing. And the thing is that scientific knowledge is just one particular kind of knowledge. It's systematic, it's stringent, it's well argued, and it's usually transferred in the form of facts. I was about to say in, you, you can actually uh, summarize it in PowerPoints, and to some extent you actually can. But since you were using PowerPoints, the idea didn't really work. While aesthetic knowledge is something completely different, it's something that talks to our senses and it makes us experience something, uh, something emotional. And those emotions uh, can make us experience something and actually learn uh, something else. And art usually communicates through the senses and it communicates them aesthetically. So we, I think we lack this dimension, I have to say, be a bit self-critical, and we actually lack this dimension at our school. If we just take KTH, uh, the Royal Institute of Technology, they have their motto, as you've probably seen, science and art. And we don't, actually. We don't, we don't have that. We basically just have science. And since these are two different ways of, of, of communicating uh, knowledge or transferring knowledge, I think something fundamental is actually lacking. And therefore, I think we need to explore the potential that aesthetic knowledge production actually has. And reason number three is that I actually think uh, if we're interested in doing this knowledge transfer, then we really need the help from professionals. Because we from the school side are, uh, we have to acknowledge actually, even though we know a little bit about art and if we're interested in art, but we are amateurs when it comes to creating and exposing art. So I think we have to collaborate with professionals, otherwise we can't really unleash the potential that art actually carries. If you take artists and many, and many curators as well, they are actually trained and even formally uh, educated to use their senses in a much more wide-stretched way than, uh, than others are actually, and many other uh, education programs. And the thing is that many artists actually see more, they hear more, and they experience more of what is going on around us, and thereby actually what's going on within us. So when they express themselves in their artworks, they, they can help the rest of us to see more and think more uh, and feel more. And basically to view what we think we know uh, in a different way or making what we consider strange to be more familiar. 
So if we can't really do this ourselves, I think we have to recognize that uh, since we are based, uh, we base our knowledge production and transfer on science. I think we need to, to really use the help of professionals since we can't do it ourselves. Reason number four is that art has a potential and a potential power to disturb and to provoke and to shock and to inspire. And I think that's something that we actually can make uh, use of in our education. All anthropologists throughout the years have taught us that culture formation is basically about finding and seeking stability and predictability uh, in our environment. And basically we all live in, why, in one way or another in, in some kind of cocoon or we live in different cocoons uh, that are created by things like our social class uh, or our ethnicity or our family or our group belonging. And these cocoons determine our perceptions and what we consider to be appropriate to see. And not just to see, but also what we are to believe and what we are to say. And this, in fact, is actually particularly true uh, for SSE students. It's true for everyone, but it's perhaps uh, even more true for SSE students because they are, on average, not as diversified uh, as they could be. And that we consider to be uh, something we should do something about because our recruitment uh, could be more heterogeneous, you could say that. Because all our students, it's absolutely impossible to get into this school if you don't have excellent grades. Uh, our students are highly motivated and they also come from very similar backgrounds. They, their parents are typically well-educated, they are not immigrants, and they live in affluent areas of greater urban areas. That's a particular sort of problem, you could say, for us, is that we're more homogeneous than, uh, than we perhaps could have been. And art has a capacity to communicate directly to our emotions and thereby and it actually encourages us to broaden uh, our range of perceptions and feelings that we allow ourselves. And the thing is that art can actually force us, and I actually like this word uh, in this sense here, it can force us to look at things that we normally avoid because we find them disturbing or anxiety-provoking or questioning our norms of appropriateness. And I think that um, educational institutions like ours should exactly question that which we take for granted. And since people come from a homogeneous background, I think this becomes even more important. So since art can actually then potentially stimulate feelings that we're not used to, that they can actually surface, and those feelings that we ourselves might be unaware of, and if we process those feelings and incorporate them into our emotional repertoire, uh, we become uh, more more uh, mature human beings, you could say. And I, I, I firmly believe this, actually. I think this is something that, that's fundamentally true. And reason number five is not a particularly strong one or heavy one, but it's one of decency, I would say, and of education or of educating sort of men and women of the world. Because many of our students, they take on leading positions in society and more and more so in international contexts. And as such, they need to have a certain literacy uh, when it comes to culture, I think. It's, I mean, it's just basically knowing a little bit about the, you know, the beaux arts. Uh, you have to know a little bit about music, a little bit about literature, a little bit about theater, a little bit about film and contemporary art. It's sort of what's expected of people that take on positions or, or leadership positions in international contexts. And it's sort of, uh, I think it's whether you like it or not, part uh, of an international discourse among uh, leaders, you could say you, you 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 need to be a little bit uh, in the know of these things so uh, just like you need to to know sort of who the head of the federal reserve is or what the currency is called in china or if ronaldo is a football player or a hamburger clown 
basically, those are things you need to know the difference between the Soviet Union and Russia. Uh, you need to know, you just need to know uh, these things in order to be granted access to certain environments. So uh, I think that's not, as I said, not a particularly heavy argument, but it's still there. So these are basically my five reasons, but if you take them together, I think art is a way of communicating, first of all, uh, and this communication is all about knowledge. And art communicates in a different way than, than basically most other uh, communication or knowledge forms do, and thereby has a potential of creating knowledge in different ways. So if we expose art at SSE, we simply create a more knowledge-intensive uh, environment. So if we collaborate with professionals, we maximize the potential of creating an environment that is as knowledge-intensive as possible. And if people who visit our scholarly and academic environments, uh, and if they are exposed to even more knowledge forms, then I think we're right on target of what an institution of higher education is actually to do. Thank you. Lars, we will uh, have a chance, of course, to discuss this, because we have been kind of thinking and talking about this for a couple of months. And uh, as uh, Sara said initially, we have this uh, get-together to ventilate different opinions. So I absolutely hope that we do not all agree here tonight. Uh, that would be very sad. Christina, you are paid by us. True? Yes, I am. <laughs> and uh, you are very much involved in a contemporary practice. Please elaborate a little about how it works. And I have also one question. I have many questions later. But is it this way in Sweden that, that certain amounts, certain portions of a budget should, should actually be allocated to what you are working with? Yeah, in some communes, but not in public art agency. Then we have a different budget for every project. It's about uh, how public it is and where, how many people will meet this uh, art piece. So it's about a lot of different questions according to the budget. So we are doing uh, these um, public art commissions. And I guess you see them every day in the city, especially here in Stockholm. There are a lot of public art. And we also work with art collections in national authorities. And in the future, you will also see more of temporary art projects. Now the Art Agency of Sweden or Public Art Agency Sweden has two new curators who will invite the public to new projects in cities like Stockholm, Malmö and Gothenburg and other places in the country. And there are also huge collaborations about city planning past and future. But I will show you some images from other educational environments. The first one is here in Stockholm, in Stockholm University, and it's Gabriel Lester. This is a very recent project. This is one of those magic moments that only art can actually do to us. You walk into the staircase and then you see all these papers flying in the sky. It's like a frozen magic moment. Then there are some other school projects that's not so poetic, how to say, more heavy. So let's have another image here. Uh, it's a plastic material, uh, like thick like this, and it's hanging in small wires. And this is a project I worked with together with my, my colleague, project manager, uh, Monica Lawson-Dennis. This is a school in Halmstad, uh, and so this is a collaboration with Halmstad Commune. 
and they decided to do a graffiti project in the school. And this school is recently opened this August. So the artistic director, Per Andreasson, he invited 20 graffiti artists from, from all over the world to join up in Halmstad. So for three weeks, we were painting the school. Very, very intense. The headmaster was very proud and very, very concerned about the work. She was taking part of the work every day, Maria Ruter. But the, she also had some issues about some of the paintings. And then the school opened, or at least the teachers started to work in the school, and there were wonders, questions issues. So what could we do? We started with a talk like this, where all the teachers could say their opinion. That's great. You always need to talk. And the teachers decided, okay, we give it a try. Let's open the school in the middle of August, let the kids in. This is a public school for uh, pupils in the grade six to nine. So the school opened and the kids were extremely happy of their school, thrilled, proud. It was amazing to be there the first day of the term. Everything went smooth until a local politician decided that he was not satisfied with the artistic work because this work was very sexistic because he interpreted a vagina in this painting. So then we had a news, had, then we were on this school, Sandholmskolan, was in the news all over Sweden. The discussions has kept going on, but the student has been extremely engaged in these paintings. And I would say this is a painting of 180 square meter, and this part is just a small part. The kids, they have written articles to the local paper, they have been in, in TV and radio, everything to talk about the proudness of the painting or, or uh, the school. In the end, I think everyone is now satisfied in Halmstad and the specific artist, Carolina Falkolt here, she keep on working with the proudness of the female body and we can also see how sensitive it is to, to show something female in public spaces or at least part of the female body. And it's even so that if someone interprets something about the female body, suddenly there's discussions going on. You say everyone is uh, pleased and happy in Halmstad, which means what? That the, that the, the mural is, is still there? It's still there and it will stay there. Okay. And the, the local politician is still in office or...? Yes, he's still in office. <laughs> okay, because I am very pleased with with these presentations, but I think it's 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 interesting. There are certain elements that can that can shock, and we were actually talking about this a couple of months ago here at the, the School of Economics, when the work by Sigalit Landa was was uh, displayed here, and I realized that many times. These kind of confrontations is, is an issue of communication more than anything else. By listening to Nina telling us about the kind of history behind some of these artworks, 
it kind of transcends, it becomes much more important than sometimes even the, the images. And we were quite honestly uh, faced even here in Stockholm at this school with uh, surprising reactions and a storytelling that went far beyond uh, the actual content of, of, of the film. Issues of uh, uh, did she want to be photographed? Is it a peeping Tom? Who's holding the camera? And, 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 and those stories are, can go on in depth for, for as, as long as you want to. I have to say, I'm, I'm, of course, I'm, I'm uh, marinated by being involved in the arts for almost 40 years, but I was still kind of surprised uh, of, of reactions. And then when I see Anne-Sophie, when you walk into the department store NK, and um, actually you were there for quite a long time yeah, uh, before the... Yeah, something like five minutes. And, I mean, why were you pushed out from the department store? Do you have a, a speculation? Different. Different times. Different. I look different. I mean, I think that uh, it disturbed the shopping probably, you know, maybe... I mean, people started to look at me, they looked at the products, I might, you know, things might get muddy. It's a good question, and um, I sort of knew going in that I probably wouldn't last that long, and I thought it would be much shorter, as a matter of fact. Mm. But I also had, uh, except for the camera person, I also had another person who talked to the guard for a long time, a quite nice girl who talked to him, tried to keep him at bay, so we got more and more material. But but uh, in the end, they really hunted us down and wanted the tape. And, and uh, I think you can hear in the end of these tapes that, uh, that and then I say, take the cassette, hide it, you know. Mm. So we kept it, yeah. But it wasn't allowed to film in there. It wasn't allowed to use their backdrop. It wasn't allowed to use uh, the perfumes, the logos of everything that was there, of course. They protected themselves from, they didn't know what I was going to use it for. But they could also, I thought, maybe it was a student prank or, you know, so, yeah, I mean, you have, it's not uncommon that clowns appear in the everyday life. If we go back to, to the issue of, of art in public spaces, and we kind of include uh, this building and this atrium here, very fast, and even in the discussions that we have had, one comes up with the issues of, of uh, uh, when I walk into a public museum, I I pay or it's free, and I have my mindset on viewing art of different ranges and so on. But when I'm in an educational in place, or if I walk across a square, or if I'm, then I want to be, it's an issue of democracy. Then I want to be, then I want to have the right to choose whether I will be exposed to something which I don't maybe want to look at, or which I won't, I might not understand. Uh, is this a, is this a core issue for for anyone on the panel when it comes to public art, or is it just that we should uh, um, we don't question it whether it is uh, advertising in the same way? We just realized that Coca Cola was able to buy um, this gigantic uh, space on a, on a wall, and we kind of accept it, even though we don't consume Coca Cola or we might not even like it. But when it comes to art, when it comes to the quality of art we uh, immediately pull the card of, of uh, uh, let me decide when I should uh, consume culture. Sunan Norgen wrote an article about public art and he says that uh, public art is the friend you didn't choose yourself. 
And that's very good. You always need those friends you didn't choose of yourself. I think we took the we took the decision to actually to actually do this to actually uh, put this art on display, and I saw it as I said in my in my introductory speech that this is part of the knowledge transfer that we are out to sort of deliver to our students. They don't know exactly uh, what will appear in their uh, in their classes. We don't tell them exactly what the course in macroeconomics will be all about. They might, you know, or in in uh, you know. The history of economic thought. I mean, they, they perhaps they won't like Marx or, or, or something like that, but it's still part of our curriculum, or at least should be. And we decided that this is a way of transferring knowledge. And uh, as I said, I think also the the the, um, the potential that art has to provoke uh, can actually create something that we were actually out to uh, to create too. So it's part of the educational process, you could say. And of course, some people, I wouldn't say absolutely not all, but thought that, I mean, hey, this is, our, this is my uh, turf. This is where I, I can't choose if I want to go here to study. This is, I mean, the classes are here. I have to pass by the atrium. And then, you know, I just considered, okay, but we will try to, to uh, you know, dis- put works on display t- to do it together with you because uh, we don't consider ourselves to be uh, knowledgeable enough to, to, to pick the right pieces. And then also, it's not going to disturb too much because then we had a sound that was really sort of narrow when it comes to, to where you were exposed to the sound. And then you always had ways of going to your classrooms by not by avoiding the atrium if you considered this to be provoking, for instance. Mm-hmm. So you had a, a, a choice since it's, the, the, it's not part of something that you have an exam on, right? I mean, it, you do if, you, if, if this was part of class. Then we could really force people to, uh, to look at it, I would say. But here we don't force, th- in, in that sense, we don't uh, do any exams on it. But we still it's consider it to be a... Uh, yeah, it's, uh, a it's an idea. Sorry, but I mean, sorry, Yeah, sorry. but it, it is actually an, an idea. And, and uh, I mean, m- many other business schools do that, uh, where they actually introduce much more of liberal arts than, uh, than we do. So we could ac- absolutely have uh, this as an exam question. But we did not say that or, ex- or, or, or state that explicitly uh, when, when people were actually seeking admission to the school. But the contextual aspect is very important and that I think uh, from us from Magazine 3 we, we are as I said before we have been marinated we, we, we work with a very contemporary expression and in our talks and dialogues that we have with each other uh, the issue of uh, uh, whether this is uh, has a meaning or not is, is far down on, on the scale but then we also got kind of surprised realizing that the contextual move of of some of these video works from our safe haven from uh, uh, the white cube to here created this uh, friction which was also actually uh, tremendously interesting and challenging and we know and we have practitioners here Christina that that some of the the thought process behind uh, putting art in public spaces has also, of course, to do with creating uh, reactions. And, Anne-Sophie, you, I, I would love you to talk about one of your sculptures, which you, which you mentioned before, which was uh, placed at Vannos uh, 13 years ago, and it was casted again, or, or it was part of the... You can also, from an artist's point of view, say, is it the optimal way to show your 
to show a video that you do in a space like this, uh, with the, where the sound is hidden somewhere, where you have to look out for the sound, you know, you can also turn it around. Is it the optimal installation site? And if I was the artist, I would probably have a lot of opinions, but these artists probably don't even know that. Yet. Oh, yes, they do. They do. Don't, <laughs> don't. Don't you t don't go that way. They know no, it no, extremely but well. No, but I, I, I think that this is also an understanding of a sensibility of, of how art, you know, is shown. It's very important for the artists and also if the art is, is supposed to be taken, you know, very, very serious, especially people who's not. Because if you come into a room and you have a perfect sound and you have a perfect viewing of this piece, you would be emerged. Now you're seeing something, an image, and it's disconnected from its sound. Just a parenthesis. Mm -hmm. okay. It's true. You know, I'm educating people. <laughs> so you know, no, but I, I, I think, no, but you are giving a, a, a extremely valid point. Oh. But we but okay, I shouldn't assume things. No, I no, take no, that don't. back. Yeah, okay. but I mean, uh, but of course we have been in, in, yeah. in dialogue with, with the exhibiting artists. Yeah. At the same time, uh, we had to uh, discuss with them certain parameters mm. which are far from, from uh, optimal mm. in a space like mm. this. Mm. But the benefit of, of having uh, X amount of thousands of, of primarily mm. students but other visitors uh, were, were part of the equation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there might be some uh, seed that's planted and grow in people who will see this work, or the name of the artist elsewhere. And so I, I'm not totally against it. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a little bit, as I always have some. But this piece um, is called Fidecomissum, and I guess you all know what that means. If you don't, you can ask. It's placed at Vannos. I was invited in 99 to come to Vannos, and uh, do, you know they invite very few artists. I was kind of honored, but I was working on other projects at the moment. I was kind of stressed. I came there, and... Uh, Walked around, uh, Marika and Sege, they weren't there, the people who live. It's an estate in, in uh, Skåne, a castle, small castle. They have the best sculpture park in Sweden, for sure, where they have really good works by really, really good people. And for me to come there, I feel actually intimidated in, and felt like, what can I do here? And you walk in this lovely park, rolling around a, a little pond, and you have to choose a space where you want to work and what do you want to do here. I shot some film, and then I left the place. When I came back to New York, uh, where I lived then, um, I looked at this material upon being asked again. Marika said, now you have to do something. It's half a year, and then the show comes up. And I thought, God, okay, I looked at that stuff that I had filmed, and I saw a slice of my arse peeing in the grass. And um, I thought, okay, let's see if she buys this. You know, I want to make a sculpture of myself peeing. And it's called Fidecomis. They had talked to me a lot about how all the paintings and sculpture that they had, the collection was spread around the world and how they wanted to keep it by the Fidecomis. By the but it was very problematic to pass on the inheritance. So I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about being an artist, coming to a place, and you have to sort of pee in your territory. So it was quite simple parameters for me. And to my surprise, he said, yes, we do it. And um, we cast, this is a bronze cast. And it's, you know, fundamentally, it's just a fountain. And it was placed there in 2000, and uh, it has this strong effect. It's placed by the pond. It looks quite contemporary. 
you know, it does, you don't see the eyes, eyes are closed. It's, it's, a, it's an image of relief or relaxation. And you see it, you know, almost think it's a real person when you pass by. I almost jump myself when I come. Once I saw Gudrun Schumann standing and looking at it, it was very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> she has experience of yeah, that. Yeah, I, I thought remember she that story. really knows this. And as a matter of fact, you know, children love this uh, piece and they examine it in all, you know, possible ways. And they see that it's very good craft, crafted, everything about the piece. And um, I was always wondering, I wonder if I ever would see a grown-up doing that. And uh, yeah, so the piece has, has this sort of a tonrosa sleep uh, in, uh, in Vanos since it was placed. It has also been placed in other collections. It's a bronze, so it existed in six. So it's in America, in London and... Oh, somewhere else in Sweden and so on. And now the last edition was sold to Oslo, to a sculpture park called Ekebergsparken, which is a controversy in itself. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a private businessman who is very rich. He owns Grand Hotel and he made his money on beer brewing. Uh, his name is um, Christian Ringnes, heter han. And he uh, had a sculpture collection of Rodin's, etc., a lot of female bronzes. And he said 10 years ago, I want to donate this to Oslo and uh, let's make a sculpture park up on this hill. You know, the hill, it's a bra bridge, you see the scream of Munch, and behind there is some nature. That hill is uh, in close proximity to the opera and so on. Let's make that into a sculpture park. You can take my sculpture. And they said, no way, we don't take, you know, okay, we can take eight. I don't know, I had 30 or something. But if you're really serious about this, let's go around and look at sculpture parks and talk about what is contemporary sculpture. And if you're willing to put in money into this, let's do it. And then that's what happened. And then there was a lot of appeals. A lot of people has complained on it. It's also a site for burial of um, uh, German soldiers. During the war, they were being removed. But there's traces. And there's, yeah. I came there for the opening uh, a month ago or something like that. And um, they had installed the piece. And it was the press opening. And uh, all kinds of fancy people were there. Jenny Holzer, Tony Orsler light artist, James Turrell, etc., etc. So I was a very good company. I was extremely pleased that they bought it, of course. <clears throat> There's one person in the press people, and she says, do you know that uh, Norwegian television has censored your, a piece about your, your sculpture? I said, no, what? She said, well, you know, there's a protest here, and a man says that your sculpture is anti-feminist, and he proved it. And I said, how? And then she, uh, I'll send you a photo, okay, because it was published in a paper. And then, but she told me about it. I, I got that, the, the little clip, and it's a man who's lying underneath uh, the sculpture's bottom, waiting for a golden shower, is sort of the text. And you can wonder who is uh, anti-feminist here, you know, uh, or, you know, is it forbidden? I mean, we see so many naked sculptures. We've seen them over and over again, and also it's not completely unique to make. Uh, I think there's one in a Baroque garden in, in France, and there's sculptures all over the world where water comes out of all ends. And this is very discreet and sort of. But anyway, so here it's turned into something else. And then I replied to them, I said, you should be happy there's a sculpture park here. Also, he was then with this movement who was against the sculpture park, and they did not want to have any sculptures there. 
but I mean, for, for the Oslo population, it was a good deal because they, they got uh, a whole lit area. They cleaned the park, they opened a restaurant, and it's much more active. They have fantastic work of Louise Bourgeois. Uh, things that we won't dream of seeing here at Djurgården or something. We don't have it, you know. And uh, they said, you know, there's then certain people want to keep their mushroom places exclusive on, you know, they should be 800 meters from your home where you can pick mushrooms or... But the fact that it was, uh, as you said, uh, a s sleeping sculpture at yeah. Vanos, which it wasn't, yeah. but it yeah. has been, and then being removed. Yeah, and, and put in another context. And then being taken advantage of, you can say, for all of a sudden some political cause. And I mean, I have friends or artists who, who, who work in Norway, and, who, and I know that there was a lot of... I mean, a lot of people don't like this sculpture park because it's, you know, there, it's a lot of money put into it. And maybe, you know, the general artist is not getting part of that money because they buy this prestigious work from, I'm not saying, you know, but they buy these works from abroad and so on. So th there is this local um, voice. And, and when I said, well, you know, I'm just peeing in my territory here. And then that was spun around saying, yes, you're peeing in Christian Ringnes' territory. Mm. So... Here I am, used as a bat. This is an open question, and, in, and, and it's open for the whole auditorium here. Is it sensible to have art in other places than, than just culture institutions? I mean, is the idea that Lars and I are, are, are trying to implement here, we know the, the idea about knowledge, for sure, and that we can all agree upon. But is this interdisciplinary? Is it, is it a fashion statement? Is it, is it really good? Is it smart? And even if you ask uh, the artist, Anne-Sophie, if you choose between exhibiting here or, or in, a, in a white box, uh, you would very likely, I'm answering you, but, but yeah. you would likely say, well, there are challenges here and I really prefer to be in the museum setting once in a while. It's part of a historical tradition too, or a, tr a tradition. I mean, if you go to any high school, I would say, in, in uh, here in, in, in the city, uh, in the entrance, or if, if it's built like uh, in the, in the, uh, at, at the turn of the, of the last century, usually there's a big mural, right? It's some kind of art, almost everywhere at all educational institutions, you have things like that. In my uh, school, I had some, some quite terrible art uh, being at the entrance of of my school, and if you go to, to university, I mean, go to Uppsala, uh, wherever, I mean, wherever you go, you always had artists doing decorations, if you like. Mm -hmm. So, I Try mean, if you, if you speak about fashion, I would say that's, that's, that's a fashion that's been going on for quite some time. It's a long Swedish tradition, and, and we should be very proud, uh, like um, um, the uh, public art agency started in 1937, so since then all universities in Sweden had the chance to get public art. And also it's important for artists to have places to exhibit or to do works outside of the galleries. I mean, some artist work suits better for a gallery sort of dealing and other people are working differently. And um, yeah, I think it's... Uh, I guess that there it's a lot of specialization going on also among us. We are also very sort of, uh, you know, we... So as you say, we're marinated in our own brew and, um, you know, we reach out to a certain degree. And I think it would be very interesting if all of you who goes to the, come to the opening of Konstrukskolans spring exhibition, where you have master students and you have candidate students who do great work. You know, you could follow a student from the third grade to the master and see what happens. 
it should be maybe more sharing of that sort, I think, between. Um. So, but what could your students find here? I mean, I'm sure anybody, no, they could come in here and say, they could come in uh, here and uh, maybe, I don't know. I mean, if they would be invited to do something here, that would be a you know, great, uh, maybe they want to do something with you or, or they want to use a part of, they would like to use this room and do performance here and film everything and maybe ask you to be participants. I don't know. I mean, they, anything you can imagine they come up with. It's not a, a lack of, of ideas. Public artists also can, you know, it's also a compromise. You know, uh, you seem to manage that one pretty well. But of course, and then there's decorative art, there's decorative, you know, there's so many different uh, things. Here we have something else. This is a curated video program that maybe normally would be seen in a group show or a, so in a context of something. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think it's brave. I think it's good. You throw it out there, you know. See what happens. I think the, the, the problems that we faced, uh, I mean, they weren't all, th they weren't uh, of great magnitude, but we had criticism because of this, right? And especially for the Sigilit Lau watermelon installation. And the critique was basically this is the Stockholm School of Economics. You are not known for showing art, you are known for having finance broilers or whatever. It's sort of a male image to the school. It has, it's got a, a male uh, image. And then the first thing you see as a visitor or a new student is a naked woman. It's sort of, why do you do this? What's the rationale behind this? And why are you showing a naked woman that's floating around? Obviously, we weren't good enough. We tried to communicate, but we didn't do this to the extent that we perhaps should. So this was a learning experience for us too. But I do think that if we had a big uh, undersorn painting of, you know, a... a 17, 18, 19 year old Dal Kula uh, in a great oil painting, we would have very little reactions because that would be sort of congenial uh, with what, what you would uh, associate with, with this type of institution. But this, the size and the fact that it was a moving image and then connecting that to that, that, that it was a naked woman created reactions. So I think, I mean, since, since you know, technology and art is moving forward uh, and then we have to, to follow that as well. So we have to be better at communicating basically. So I think it's it's a lot about that, as you said initially too. Hmm. If you'd like another opinion, I would say that the criticism and those narratives, like you said the story's really gone went too far and too deep. I think that might be the best thing that has happened here so far. Because you talk about having art in the white box, and as I listen to that, I think those are the spaces in which the stories around the artifacts are pretty well controlled, mm -hmm. either by the meta narratives or by the self-selection of people who come here. see a whole different set of uh, stories, a whole different set of conversations right. launching. And maybe if we have a role, those of us who work here, it's not to try to fix that, but to engage that and uh, see this project being uh, a bed for more and different conversations, mm -hmm. more and different narratives. Yeah. I think this is a pretty good <laughs> example yeah. of that. I mean, the, I could never, ever, ever imagine that there were so many people coming here today, I have to say that. So I'm really... Uh, we knew it because, <laughs> we, because we understand the, the power of the art. But we don't, have, we don't even have an exam after this, you know? So no, 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 no. Is there uh, any thoughts from the audience? Yes. I have Sir. one question. I mean, I, I think it's great that Magazine 3 do this, but just a question for, for Larsen. Given that the big renovation, how much money did Hamas' school in itself spend on art when they refurbished this great, uh, this, rebuilt the, 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 this 
very, very little. Uh -huh. So in that respect, you do a big contribution trying to persuade and inform yeah. not only the students, but the teachers, the professors. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think, it's fantastic to see. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have battling outside, that's fantastic, but that stopped. That was in 1960 sometimes. Yeah, right. But since then, nothing. No, exactly. You're right. Mm -hmm. but, um, Although, I mean... Yeah, new portraits. So there, yeah. There. I mean, if we were to spend uh, lots of money on art while not having appropriate lecture halls, for instance, this is one of the good lecture halls, but there are uh, places that are not as good. I think it's something then that we have to tackle too, you know, because we would have lots of reactions about that. And this, in fact, is, I mean, we're so thankful again uh, for the contribution from Agassin 3 because they are just doing this for free for us. But there was some discussion uh, and it's actually, a fan I mean, we see it as a fantastic present. So we're just, you know, falling down on our knees in, uh, in gratitude. But some people around here are actually asking, I mean, how much do you spend on this? Why do you spend all that money? Why are you doing this? What's the rationale behind that? So that was sort of an issue sort of being uh, used against us, if you like. What do they want instead? Or I they don't want anything? No, I think they, I mean, I don't or know. We have to ask. There are lots of students here and yeah. they know much more. But... Uh, uh, I think it would be interesting you know, to hear some students and how you have experienced the work that has been displayed. Just, you know, good, bad, whatever. Well, I wouldn't agree with that, by the way. That, um, actually, this critique that has been you know, bubbling up from, from on the surface is actually one of the greatest things about this project. And that kind of critique is also starting from the current grade learning experience, which I felt you as a student perhaps have been nurtured in the academy. The consequences would actually be that some of the knowledge that, that we sit on should actually be part of the curriculum here. I mean, it, sh it, shouldn't, it, sh it shouldn't just be is something which is selective. And I feel very strongly about that. And uh, being one of the initiator of the curatorial program at the Stockholm University, where it actually is an interdisciplinary master program which uh, embraces... Uh, both law and, and uh, economics and, and art history and art theory, I think this is a great opportunity to maybe implement something which is goes on another level and another depth. Earlier this day, I, I was part of a, of a very intriguing seminar orchestrated by Svensk Ten. You know, uh, most of you know this is a, an historical kind of design and interior design store here in Stockholm. And, and there was one of uh, a lecture, a, a woman that is one of the kind of gurus of trends and so on. While she was talking and she looked at different places around the globe where it was... Uh, uh, what is happening in Brazil or what is happening in Africa and China and all of that, I realized that was certain commercial application, uh, trends, how you mix and match, color schemes, all of that. And I realized that what she was actually talking about is the kind of free art trends uh, that has already existed for a number of years. What I wanted to say is that I think that the visual arts, uh, with having no direct consumer in mind is a wonderful uh, 
path to follow whatever kind of uh, focus or business you are interested in. So uh, if I was wanted to become a, a successful person in the corporate world, I would, I would look at the arts and I would see the ideas and the thoughts and the geographic locations and what the kind of art world is looking at. And I think there's absolutely applications to kind of fuse uh, these, uh, this kind of knowledge in, in combination with uh, uh, the PowerPoints and the diagrams. Lars, may I ask you, um, do, do you see the art just as a career step here? Or we are talking about what art can do for your career, but there's so much more about art. At all, I said that it's just uh, that was my fifth reason, and 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 it's not a heavy one either. But it's just uh, what I do. I I, I mean, I'm I'm so really really convinced about this, and I and I have I can say this my sort of little secret that I have. It's that I'm actually I think we need to do a lot about uh, our education. Basically, in short, we have had one program before that was for four years. We have now stretched that into into five years, where we have a bachelor program. Uh, and a uh, master's program. And some of our students have already studied uh, business or economics uh, in high school for, th for yeah, three years. Then they come here and study for three more years, business and economics. And then they do a specialization, and then you actually work for eight years, study economics and business for eight years. And I mean, how much economics and business can you need? <laughs> So I, I think that what we need to do is, uh, as, as I said, I mean, if you, if you, I mean, I, I think we we have an ambition to be a school where our students or our uh, our graduates actually make a difference. You know, that they create something new, that they do great stuff to to society. And uh, if you're only getting better at, at at calculating or making money for yourself or becoming sort of a, a servant to uh, to the big capital, I think we have missed something really fundamental. And I think that. Our ambition is to educate leaders, uh, and then you have to know these things. You have to, it's sort of the, the essence of being a human, a human being. You have to understand what this all is about and understand that sort of the, the goal of, of all of our lives uh, is actually to create a better world or, you know, to be healthy or to, to live a meaningful life or something like that. And then money is just a, it's a means for creating that. So I think we have to sort of be better at educating people to understand what the goals of our <laughs> lives are in a, in, a, in a sort of bombastic way. And then teach them that uh, business or economics is just one way of understanding our world, one way of creating means of getting a better life, sort of. So if we don't bring in culture and if we don't bring in these things, our, uh, I don't think we'll ever be a sort of competitive education institution if we don't have that type of ambition. So I think we have to introduce much more, not just liberal arts, but ways of understanding society. We have to have much more sociology, we have to have much more art, we have to have much more languages, intercultural communication, etc. And when you know all that, then you can start specializing for your two years master program. That's sort of the way uh, I think you should see this. Sorry, uh, this is sort of educational yeah, I, I, uh, we, politics, we, but we I think follow it. we really have to, and, and this is just uh, something that we have to do, because if we don't, it's not at all a career step, it's something much more fundamental than that. Thanks. We are, we are uh, slowly coming to the end, and by that time many people uh, start to feel, oh, I should have said something. So now there is this, this magical moment, but there is one gentleman that wants to say something. Neurobiologist and have taken part in, in 
in brain research since many years, and uh, I can't leave this place without telling you that there are a lot of interesting studies coming nowadays uh, since we have been able to get dynamic pictures of the brain. We have seen them all in different colors when, when you experience emotions, when you think that way or that way, when you train arithmetics and so on. And uh, if you put that together with um, other insights, how we can, we have learned that the brain, human brain has a much more, much wider plasticity than we thought. We thought that when, when a part of the brain was hurt, it was, it could never be repaired, repaired. but now we know a lot more of how functions can be uh, evoked in other places and so on. What I want to say with this is that there are interesting studies coming that seem to show that if you take part in, in um, creative activities or training, it changes your mind, your uh, brain waves and it it's not only when you take part in the, these trainings, it remains there. So there was a study uh, this year, a week oh. ago, um, about where they compared people who had been training music when they grew up uh, with comparable persons, very comparable in every other aspect. They had not trained music, and they had uh, different patterns. Uh, and different, uh, uh, it, it, it takes a long to, to, to say, but, but what I, I have to say is that I think that it's not only to get your students be more aware of how society and how, how other people right. may think and so on. I think that uh, art <coughs> and uh, creative exercises in different parts broadens your brain and I think that those super specialists in, in medicine that I train at the School of Medicine in leadership and so on uh, and the super specialists in economics that you train here, they can profit a lot from broadening their mind, uh, training to, to, to uh, think differently and, and so I think that creativity, training creativity has uh, a future, really, much, much more than, than we can have seen until now. So we, we can come back to that, but uh, I can present a lot of interesting research on this. Thank you. Thank you very much. We had one more question or statement there. It has actually affected the school a lot because there is a huge discussion still going on about being a feministic school. And they, I think they have decided to be the first school in Sweden with feministic perspective. So they will actually put this in all subjects in school. So it's, it's been a huge effect, yeah.
about discussions or Yeah, I think all art affects people in public spaces. And I think the most famous one here in Stockholm is Kirsten, Kirsten Ortved's uh, monument with uh, Raoul Wallenberg, the Raoul Wallenberg monument. And uh, it's now already 15 years old, maybe. And there's still discussions about this monument. So, yeah. Thank you, everyone. It's. Uh, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. But, can, but I, can I comment on that? <laughs> if I can too. But yeah. you start. <laughs> but it's, yeah. I'll start. You start. Of course you do. Well, I think that, that you're right. Of course it's a language. But also, um, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that we picked moving images. Because students are used to that. I mean, we look at our smartphones all the time. We're sort of surrounded by uh, moving images all the time. So we are, or I think the students of our generation are sort of much more literate, you could say. They have, a, they have a cultural literacy when it comes to decoding that type of language. They don't have it to the same extent, perhaps, when it comes to bronze sculptures or uh, whatever, right? So then perhaps it's more complicated. But this is at least sort of, they know a little bit about the grammar in itself. So I think it's, it's, that's one of the reasons that we actually picked this medium in order to, to make the step into sort of the art world uh, a bit easier. But I also think that it's interesting when you start to talk about languages and there is a, a kind of a school or a movement that said that if, if the art doesn't communicate with me directly and I need to have someone like Nina explain it for me, it's really not good. I mean, why? why? And of course, I, I reject all of that. And you know how long it takes to read a really thick book? It takes days, weeks. And many times when we look at visual images, uh, we feel that you know, if I haven't understood this in uh, 10, 15, 20 seconds, mm, it's crap. It's it's nothing for me. <laughs> That's one of the dimensions. So so, and also it's it's about actually once in a while is when do you read? When do you analyze the effect? And it's for me, it's the difference between having the book that you read a page or two and then you think about, or 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 the book you read on the train, which is just kind of moving you in a, in a suspense or away from where you sit in the subway or on a train or something like that. And I don't think we should be overly uh, kind of complicated when it comes to art. There is many times, and, and that's why it's wonderful to hear Nina talk about the thought process behind some of these, but there's also the absolutely healing effect of art. And I think that kind of juxtaposition in a place like the School of Economics is, is really good because it really uh, creates a lot of emotions 
and some are upset, some are, are uh, happy. And we have also received a lot of feedback from students that really embrace this. It maybe creates uh, Lars starting to think even more about how we should change the curriculum. And it involves maybe in the future other uh, cultural institutions, not only Magazine 3, maybe Stotten's Construed will move in here and do something. We so already tried, but you said no because we're a private institution. Yeah, well, they can do, some, they can do something on the sidewalk outside here. It's public yeah. space. Uh, once again, uh, we are delighted to be here and we will have uh, a follow-up, another seminar uh, in, the, uh, in the end part of January. And in the meantime, um, uh, the art will be rolling and, and, and I'm so happy that so many of you could uh, yeah. be here this evening. I have to say that also it's a private institution, but it's also a public institution. So you're all welcome to come in between 9 and 5 and watch uh, and, or take part of the, of the great art that's being sh on display here. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you.